following program is brought to you by your friends at Podcast One. Springtime tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine and More. Everybody loves honey glazed carrots. A great side dish for your springtime celebration and a delicious compliment to a sweet, bright Moscato. Your Bloody Mary bar will be the talk of brunch with the vodka I'm stalking. Pile those toppings sky high. Serving lamb this season? Try it with a bold Cabernet from the trendy Paso Robles region. Whether you're hosting or just bringing the wine, Total Wine and More has you covered with 8,000 wines, 3,000 spirits, and 2,500 beers at always low prices. Cheers! Welcome to the Forbes Sports Money Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Ozanian. On this show, we talk about the business of sports. It's my great pleasure today to have Andrew Zimbalist. Uh, my friend Andy is the Robert A. Woods Professor of Economics at Smith College in Massachusetts. You probably read his book, Baseball Billions, if you're a baseball fan like me. For sports, Andy has done a lot of consulting for leagues and teams. And uh, Andy, I'm going to cut your bio short because it could take the full half hour. We'll, we'll get right to it. But thanks a lot for coming on the show. Always a pleasure to be with you, Mike. All right, Andy, let's let's cut to the chase, my friend. Uh, uh, you've been a great mentor of mine for many years. So we'll go with the hardest question first. I'll flip the tables on you. Why are there so many unsigned top ranked free agents in baseball right now? So I, I think it's it's a somewhat involved answer, but in my mind, Mike, the, the two major things that are going on are, number one, that they they just signed last year, they being the Players Association and the owners, a new collective bargaining contract. And this new collective bargaining contract, like previous contracts, uh, has a threshold uh, above which, if the teams go in terms of their team payroll, they get taxed. And what happened to that threshold is it didn't, in this new agreement, it didn't move very much in terms of the level of it. It's $197 million this year. If teams go over that for a, th- a third consecutive year, they pay a 50% tax. Uh, if they go over it by more than $20 million, then they pay an additional tax. And if they go over by more than $40 million, there's a tax on top of that. It adds 45% to the 50%. They also have to pay... Uh, in other ways, they get a reduction in, in their slotting in the international draft, what position they pick in. They get a reduction in the amount of international signing bonuses they can use. So in other words, what happened in this new collective bargaining agreement is it made it much more costly for teams to be over the cap. And so what's happened is that the two teams that have been most over the cap in recent years, the Yankees and the Dodgers, they want to get under the cap, not only so they don't have to pay the tax, but because the next time they go over it, their tax rate will be much, much lower. So there's a very, very strong incentive in this new agreement that was just signed that tells teams get under the cap or get under the threshold. I shouldn't be using the word cap. It's a threshold. Um, and so the Yankees, of course, have cut back on their free agent signings. The Dodgers have cut back. And if you don't have these two teams leading and pushing the market, uh, then you don't have the extravagance at the upper end. So one of the, the big issues here is that some of these top free agents are not getting signed. Last year, the same thing happened in a different way. But last year, there was only one player who signed a contract, a multi-year contract worth nine figures. That is to say over $100 million. Um, and this year, there's only been one as well. It just happened last week. 
so what you have is a deterrent, a very strong deterrent at the top end that's pushing the market down. Now, that's that's not collusion. That's not, you know, uh, Randy Levine or Hal Steinbrenner at the Yankees calling up Stan Kasten at the Dodgers and saying, hey, let's not sign any free agents or let's not spend more than a certain amount. That's simply an incentive that the owners and the Players Association negotiated and agreed upon. So for the, the Players Association to now be saying, hey, maybe there's collusion and to be saying, hey, there's a race to the bottom is a little mm-hmm. disingenuous. It's a little disingenuous right, because right. really all that's happened is that this new agreement that they've negotiated, it's, it's working. And taking a moment to thank our supporters, Amica Insurance, Varidesk, and Rocket Mortgage. More about these companies later in the show. What's your feeling about analytics, Andy? You know, that it seems like every team now has uh, tremendous analytics and look in depth and they could tell, you know, when players peak, when they start uh, heading down uh, in, in terms of the uh, reluctance to perhaps give really long-term contracts and therefore uh, curb some of these deals. Is, is analytics playing a role here as well, in your opinion? Absolutely. It was the second point I was going to make, which is to say that, you know, we, we all know that back in, in the early couple of years of this, this century, around 2001, 2002, um, Michael Lewis's book Moneyball came out, the movie Moneyball came out, um, and the idea that you could be more empirical and more objective in evaluating player talent has spread. It's not something that happened overnight, you know, the day after the movie came out. It's, it's, it's culturally penetrated very slowly and gradually throughout the front offices of baseball. Every single team has a couple of people at least in their analytics department. Teams like the Dodgers have a dozen people in their analytics department. They're hiring PhDs now in, in statistics to look at these things. Uh, now, whether you fully agree with, with, with that thrust or not is, is beside the point. What has happened, as you suggest, Mike, is that there's much more of an onus on the statistical performance of players. And one of the things that, that we see is that players peak at 27, 28, in some cases, 29 years old. And one of, the, one of the things we know about baseball is that you don't become a free agent until you've been a major leaguer for six years. So think of this. Think of a player who goes through college, graduates to 22, goes into the minor leagues, and go, has to go through single A, double A, triple A. So they spend two or three years, maybe four years, in the minor leagues. Uh, so they become a major leaguer when they're 25 or 26. Then they spend six years before they reach free agency. Now they're 32 years old and they're, they're looking for long-term contracts at the age of 32. They're already several years beyond their prime. So what's happening is that the, the, the analytics departments and the general managers and the owners are saying, why should I sign a contract with somebody who's 31, 32 years old for five years, for eight years, for 10 years, uh, you know, give them 20 or $30 million a year. When I know that the statistics are telling me that even though there might be an exception or two, the vast bulk of these people don't continue to produce in their mm-hmm. 30s like they did in their late 20s. Uh, and, and so you have a reluctance to enter into these contracts. And if you, if you go back and you look at the history of signing 10-year contracts or 8-year contracts with 30-year-olds, 31, 32-year-olds, it's, it's not very encouraging. These guys have not, with a couple of exceptions, these guys have not performed up to their expectations. So the analytics culture is changing the way 
owners go about this. And I, I, I think that it's it's having its impact right now. It's not because, you know, it's, part of the problem here is also that, that Scott Boris, who's been a very successful agent over the decades, uh, Scott has many of the top free agents right now who are out there. And Scott is always looking to get the extra penny or the extra dollar out of every contract. And he has this fantastic, fantastically bloated idea of how much each of his players players are worth. Uh, so he's he's telling some of his players uh, that they're worth $200 million, like J.D. Martinez. J.D. Martinez got a five-year offer from the Red Sox that's reported to be $125 million. Scott Boris has gone out and said he's worth $200 million. Who, whom are you going to blame? Are you going to say the owners are colluding because they're not signing for the player for what Scott Boris has said he's worth? That doesn't make much sense especially if there's no direct evidence of, of collusion. I, I wonder, Randy, if, you know, Scott, as you know, was, was one of the real pioneers in, in having tremendous analytics and research and being able to present his case to other baseball teams for his clients. You know, are we seeing a shift as part of this to where now it's kind of like all equal, you know, it, it was an arms race and now everybody's sort of got the same arms. So they have this, no one's got a real advantage with the date. Everybody's kind of looking at the same thing. That's true. I think that's a good point that, you know, it, it, when, when Scott was starting up his business very intelligently, he hired a bunch. He even talked to me about this back in the 90s, I remember. He hired a bunch of economists and statisticians that he said, come work for me. I need you to, to put together a strong statistical, statistical case that says my player is worth a lot of money. Uh, and it was really Scott on the the player's side who was doing most of this and the owners weren't very, doing very much of it in their in their player development offices. Now the players are doing it too and it balances out the scales a little bit so it's much more difficult for Scott to sell to, to sell those arguments. You know, I think there's another important fact here that we should we should put out on the table, Mike. And that is that if you look at the share of total revenue that's generated in baseball and you compare that to the amount of compensation that goes to the players on the major league roster in baseball. It's and, and without counting the minor leaguers, because I, and as I think some of your listeners know, minor league salary, each, each major league team has at least six minor league teams. Sometimes they have seven and each one of those teams has about 25 players and the major league team pays the salaries of all of those people on the minor league team. So there's another 150 or 175 players they're paying the salary of. If you exclude all the minor leaguers, just look at the men on the 40-man 40, 40 roster. The share of their compensation in total baseball revenue is 50%. If you look at it in the other sports, it's below 50%. And, and so, you know, to, to say that, that somehow baseball is treating its players unfairly because they're not signing all of Scott Boris's free agents, in spite of the fact that baseball is giving the players a higher share of their revenue than the other sports, doesn't make very much sense. Yeah, it seems if I if I understand what you're saying, what is going to come out of all this is not so much less spending on players, but perhaps a reallocation of to where that money is spent. Well, that's right. I mean, if, again, if you if you go back over the last five or even ten years, and you include the major leaguers and the minor leaguers together, which are all the players' salaries that they pay, the owners pay in baseball. The share of the, the players is about fifty-five or fifty-six percent. If you just look at the people on the 40-man roster, it's about 50%. But look at look at football, for instance. Compare it to football. In, fo in the NFL, the players get about 48% of, of uh, their, their what they call all revenue. 
in football. But the owners of a football team don't have any minor leagues to support, right? That's all done for them in the colleges. In basketball, they, they, they now have a development league in basketball, but each major, each top-level NBA team has only one, only one development team. So their expenditures on minor leaguers are, are really, really small relative to baseball. And there's a similar story to be told in hockey. Mm-hmm. Well, Andy, what about managers? You know, uh, here in Yankee land, there were a lot of people that were disappointed that Joe Girardi wasn't re-signed after last season. And I, I believe he was making about $4 million or so. And yeah. I think they signed Aaron Boone for about half of that. And what I'm wondering is, will, will the use of analytics and, uh, and, and statistics and so forth, the increasing use of that, will that also have an impact on you know, managers and what they get paid and their worth? Because you know, let's face it, somebody else, if it's so analytic dependent, somebody else can sit in there and say, well, this guy's got a bat against this pitcher, so on and so forth. Well, you know, it's an interesting observation, and I think my answer is maybe. Uh, one, you know, one of the reasons why Boone is getting paid less than Girardi is because Girardi had, uh, you know, a decade worth of experience doing the job, and, and Boone is new. So that happens in any industry. When, you, when you're just starting, you get paid a little bit less. But uh, you're right that in, in the old days, you know, go back to Casey Stangle since we're talking about Yankee land. Uh, Casey Stangle did everything from the seat of his pants. Everything was subjective, Right. A lot of it made no sense whatsoever. <laughs> but, uh, you know, he, he was making subjective decisions about everything. And now the 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 ambit of decision making that a, a manager has is shrinking because more and more the players who are sitting on his in, in his dugout are there because of analytics and the kinds of decisions that he can make about sacrifice bunting or stealing bases or whatever uh, or shifting the infield around. Those are determined by statistics as well. So I think you could make an argument that the, the scope of decision making of the manager is shrinking and therefore managers are, are going to get a smaller share of, of the pie. But having said that, there's another element here, and that is, and I think, in fact, it's probably the most significant thing that a manager on a baseball team does these days. And that is to manage the, the psychology and the, mo- the emotional level and, and the spirit and the solidarity of the people on, on, on his roster. And, and that's that's an area that managers in the old days didn't really have to worry about very much, or at least it wasn't as much attention. They got, they, they, they're managing millennials, you know? Yeah. Different <laughs> mindset. And we'll be right back after this quick break. This year, the office cubicle turns 50 years old. It hails from an age when work was done on typewriters and smoking at your desk was the norm. Today, employees are expecting more from their workspace. They want flexible and active spaces where they can collaborate and feel energized. Varidesk Active Workspace Solutions make it easy to encourage more movement to any workday. Being more active at work, like standing more and sitting less, can help improve your health, boost energy, and increase productivity. Varidesk has a variety of desk solutions that replace traditional office setups, require little to no assembly, and are ready to use in minutes. Plus, Varidesk products are made from commercial-grade materials meant to last a lifetime. They're easy to move or reconfigure as businesses change and grow. You can try Varidesk risk-free for 30 days with free shipping and free returns if you're not satisfied. See it for yourself at varidesk.com. That's V-A-R-I desk.com. And this podcast is brought to you by Amica Auto Home and Life Insurance. 
When you call Amica, you can expect a different experience because Amica is all about customer service that goes above and beyond the ordinary. You always get the help you need when you call Amica. Visit meetamica.com slash Forbes today. Hey, when you and I were uh, discussing you coming on the show a few days ago, you brought up a point very quickly that I'm hoping you can elaborate on now. And, and you mentioned something to the effect about the sweepstakes for uh, the two-way superstar Otani that the Angels signed, and, and right. that that may have had an impact. Could you please elaborate on that a bit? Well, so, um, you know, the, the, uh, the Major League Baseball has a posting system with Japan, and that posting system changed a couple of years ago, so that right now, if you want, if you want a bid, if you're if you're Major League Baseball franchise, and you want to bid on a Japanese player who's been posted by a Japanese team. And to be posted means that the Japanese team is willing to let go of that player if there's a Major League team that's willing to pay $20 million to the Japanese team. You take somebody like Otani, who's, I think he's 23 years old, uh, and he's, you know, he, he's, got all this, he's got all the signs of being the next Babe Ruth from what he's done in Japan because he's a home run hitter. He hits for a high average and he's a strikeout pitcher, a very successful pitcher. He's a two-way superstar potentially. Uh, and basically what major league team couldn't use somebody like that? You know, in, in addition to what he contributes actually to win games, the the, the guy is a, is a two-legged wonder, right? He, he this, Everybody wants to see this guy. So he's going to bring people into the ballpark. And if all you have to do is give $20 million to the Japanese team, um, then basically all teams can afford to do that. So when Otani was posted and all of a sudden he became available to make a decision about which major league team he wanted to go to, basically there were 30 teams out there that wanted to sign him. And so he went around the United States and had little workouts to show his his talents to all these teams. All of that took a month and more until he finally decided, okay, I'm, I'm going to sign with, with the Angels. So that delayed the market, basically. That's mm-hmm. the story about it. it. delayed the market this year. And so now now we have, uh, you know, the, the camps have opened. We just have two weeks before the first exhibition games are played, and we still have all these free agents who haven't been signed. Well, let's say that the, the whole Otani thing hadn't happened. We'd be a month further along into this market. So the market was delayed, and that's still another reason among many others, why we have some f- unsigned free agents, I think. Yeah, Darvish was the last big name signed, as you and I sit here this morning right. to discuss this. Uh, another top hurler, Jake Arrieta, has not been signed. Some people point to the fact that the last, even though his numbers overall have been spectacular, he's actually in a downward trend the last few years. Um, based on what you've said on, on how the analytics is impacting everything and this collective bargaining agreement, Andy. How do you see this playing out? Is there going to be a mad rush of signings? Are, are the players going to have to accept less money? Uh, what are your thoughts? Well, I, I think, first of all, it's it's clear that the the kind of goals that, that Boris and other agents have set for, for their players uh, was unrealistic, that the money that they've been looking for is, is not going to be forthcoming. Uh, primarily because you've got these teams like the Yankees and Dodgers that aren't willing to spend the money anymore. Another team that spent a lot of money historically is the Red Sox. And um, they're up around the threshold, that, that luxury tax threshold also. So they want to they wanna be a little bit careful. Um, but so you, you don't have the big spenders out there willing to gush the money 
to these agents. So yeah, I think that that there's going to be a lot less money and they're going to be shorter contracts for them. Do I think they'll be signed in in the next two or three weeks? Some of them will, but not all of them. Uh, so what you know, basically, like any market works, you have you have a seller and your buyer and, they, and a buyer, and they have to come together. And I think it's 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 pretty clear that the sellers who are the players are going to be lowering their expectations. Uh, so they'll they'll come down and the, the the owners will go up a little bit. So you'll see some action in the coming weeks, but probably some of this is is not going to resolve itself until mid March or late March, and some of it might not even it might not even resolve itself until early April. You know, you're rightly pointing out the Dodgers, Yankees, Red Sox, etc. Um, some people have complained that even small market teams who uh, you know, as you've written about, get about $400 million annually from the big market team, big revenue teams as, as a result of the revenue sharing and the collective bargaining agreement. Uh, and some people are saying those small market teams are not even spending the money. Um, uh, am I mistaken or uh, is, is, is that a result of the fact that uh, maybe there's this new model out there where teams, you know, look at Jeter and the Marlins. He's saying, you know what, I'm going to slash payroll. I'm starting from scratch. I'm not, you know, he, Giancarlo Stanton, you know, was traded to the Yankees. Or do you disagree with that, that uh, uh, they're not just going through this new model like the Astros and Cubs did where they'll just, you know, lose 90 to 100 games for a couple of years and then rebuild? Yeah, so a couple of points. I'm, I'm glad you brought it up, Mike. Um Last year, the Astros won the World Series. The year before that, the Cubs won the World Series. The year before that, the Kansas City Royals won the World Series. Each of these clubs was using this new model that you're, you, you alluded to, which is a model that says, let's let's do this from the bottom up. Let's do this with player development. Let's not go out and spend hundreds of millions of dollars on, on 31, 32, 33-year-olds. Uh, so they're using this new player development analytically oriented model. And the last three World Series have gone to these clubs. So, of course, that affects the attitudes. Other player, other teams and other general managers see this and they say, hey, there's something to this idea. So I think that that's had an impact. Now, in terms of the Marlins, in terms of the Pirates, in terms of other small market teams, um, lowballing their payrolls, uh, there are a couple of things to say about this. Uh, one of the things to say about it, I think is that in the past, the owners have recommended at the collective bargaining table to the players that in addition to having a luxury, a luxury tax threshold on the top, that they also have one on the bottom. That, to say, that is to say that they have a floor. So you might have, for instance, I'm just going to make up a, a number here, but in addition to having $197 million and, and and the agreement that if a team pays more than that in payroll, they get taxed. You might have a lower end, like 60 million, for instance, that says if a team goes lower than that, they also have to pay a tax. And the further lower they go, if they go below 50, there's yet a bigger tax. And if they go below 40 million, there's still a bigger tax beyond that. Uh, if you uh, if you had a system like that, and again, the owners have proposed this, and it's been rejected each time by the players' association. But if you had a system like that. And that would put a break on on the niggardliness or the cheapness of um, some of the, the the lower revenue teams that are getting, as you point out, uh, collectively they get four hundred million dollars in revenue. So you get some teams that might be getting forty or fifty million dollars in revenue sharing money every year. In addition to that money, they get another forty or fifty million dollars from the national television money. And sometimes they get other money, like when MLB signed, uh, excuse me, ML Bam sold its was sold to uh, ESPN. 
they, they had another major distribution of funds. So how is it that a team that's getting, you know, $100 million in transfers from the commissioner's office, how can they only have a payroll of 50 or $60 million? So I can understand that particularly fans in, in some of the smaller market areas and, and in Miami, they would say, uh, there's something wrong here with this picture. At the same time, it makes sense for a new owner to come in and say, I want to work with a clean slate. And as I as I trade the the, the Stantons to, to other teams, I want to build my, my minor league talent. Uh, and so Derek Jeter has done that. I think, I, in my mind, the main thing that I would criticize uh, Jeter for is I, I don't think that he's, he's made the moves gradually. I, I don't think that he's explained the moves sufficiently. Uh, you always have to wonder or, or worry if you're a baseball team owner about your market, about your consumers. You have, you have to understand their mentality a little bit. And sort of just to come in and say, okay, from the morning to the, from the night to the morning, I'm going to make a clean slate for myself. Uh, I, I think it's a little bit mm. much. And taking a quick break to say support for the Forbes Sports Money podcast comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans, the mortgage company that decided to ask why. Why can't clients get approved in minutes rather than weeks? Why can't they make adjustments to their rate and term in real time? And why can't there be a client-focused technological mortgage revolution? Quicken Loans answered all these questions and more with Rocket Mortgage. Rocket Mortgage gives you the confidence you need when it comes to buying a home or refinancing your existing home loan. Rocket Mortgage is simple allowing you to fully understand all the details and be confident you're getting the right mortgage for you. Whether you're looking to buy your first home or your 10th, with Rocket Mortgage, you get a transparent online process that gives you the confidence to make an informed decision. Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Apply simply. Understand fully. Mortgage confidently. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com Forbes. Equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states, nmlsconsumeraccess.org number 3030. Springtime tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine & More. Garnishing your ham with pineapple? Pair it with a delicious Chardonnay to make their taste buds swirl. Deviled eggs are even better when paired with a light, dry wine like a bubbly Prosecco or a Pinot Grigio. For me, nothing beats recommending a great wine. And with such an extensive selection, I can help you find the perfect one in your budget. Whether you're hosting or just bringing the wine, Total Wine & More has you covered with 8,000 wines, 3,000 spirits, and 2,500 beers at always low prices. Cheers! And, and you and I both know that in some cases over the years, some of these small revenue teams that have gotten windfalls in revenue sharing, you know, the owners have used the money to pay back debt. They've used the money to increase act to buy out some of the other minority investors to increase their holdings. I mean, it's it's tough, and at times, uh, uh, perhaps from the fans' perspective, you know, if you and I were to take off our uh, baseball economics glasses and just put on our fans glasses it seems somewhat arbitrary you know what baseball does allow and doesn't allow um but i gotta ask you one quick thing why did the players union why have they rejected the floor i mean the nba has a salary floor the nhl has a salary floor why why have the players union resisted that andy so i think you have to go back to to don fear you know who took over from marvin miller in 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 the mid-80s and what, what one of the things the Players Association stood for most fervently in the 80s and the 90s and 
the first decade of this century is to avoid the salary cap, right? Salary cap came in in basketball in 84, 85 in the NBA. It came in in football in 1993. It came in in hockey in 2005. One, one of the, 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 the most strong commitments that Don Fear made is we're not going to have a salary cap in baseball. We're going to have a, a, as much of a free market as we can possibly have. So from that perspective, Don Fear looked at this notion, okay, we'll give you a floor. We'll give you a salary floor as a harbinger of a salary cap. Because as you pointed out, Mike, all the leagues that have salary caps have a, a top and a bottom together. So, so Fear was, was afraid that if you had a bottom, that it would lead to having a top. So that was number one. Number two Fear felt like uh, the, the, if, if you accepted a bottom, if you accepted a floor, it would be interrupting the principles of a free market, that a, a team would be required. Suppose a team had 24 players and the, the floor was, was uh, $60, $60 million, and for the first 24 players it had, they spent $45 million. Now that team would all of a sudden be required to spend $15 million. And, and maybe there's not a $15 million player out there worth signing. So Fear saw, saw that as uh, the floor as, uh, as a concession that, that you, you didn't need a free market. And he, of course, was trying to promote, once free agency came in, to promote as much of a free market as possible. So there were some ideological issues that prevented the Players Association from buying into a floor. But you know, once, once you have all this other stuff going on, including the luxury tax, uh, you really have disrupted the free market. You really have acknowledged that sports leagues are different from the rest of the economy and they need a certain amount of balance and a certain amount of control. So I, I think that that's I think this kind of basically the answer is there's been some ideological baggage that has prevented the Players Association from accepting. That. All right. My producer always tells me never ask two questions at the same time, but I'm going to do it right now because I, I know I got to let you go. So my last question is going to be a part A and a part B to you, Andy. Um, obviously, uh, it, on the consternation level, there seems to be a lot of it with the players' union on this collective bargaining agreement vis-a-vis -vis what we're seeing with free agency. You've uh, been involved uh, helping leagues and teams understand CBAs and working with them. In your opinion, part A is – is the CBA, this new CBA, something that the players' union, at the end of the day, in a few years, when it when it ends, going to try to change? And and also, just overall, do, do you think it's been good for baseball? I mean, we're seeing, as you you know, we talked about earlier, the Marlins, who arguably are in the worst financial shape of any team in baseball, sold for one point two billion dollars. So, you know, uh, what type of crossroads are we at here with the CBA and team values and so forth? Okay, so yeah, that's a big question, or big two questions. Uh, so, uh, look, I I think that the players association is is going to have to adjust their understanding and their expectations about the way the player market works, because the owners have done that, the general managers have done that, the front offices have done that, and um, given those changes. Uh, you have you're going to have to see some changes in in the final results. So I think you're going to see somewhat more modest contracts, and you're going to see see shorter contracts. Um, I think that uh, the, the the terms of this CBA, in addition to those terms that are going to allow now speed of pace of play 
changes unilaterally um, instituted by the commissioner's office. I think that they're basically uh, positive for the game. Um, it, you know, I, if, I, if I had to predict something or identify something that might, maybe needs to change, I'd say maybe you have to take that six-year period of waiting before you're a free agent and shorten it a little bit. The other leagues have four- and five-year periods. Uh, so I can see baseball moving to that level, and, and hence a player might become a free agent when they're 29 and 30 instead of when they're 30, 31, 32. So that might be a, a way w- that, that some of these changes could, could be mollified. Um, in terms of uh, profitability of, of, of the Marlins and, and, and franchise values, First of all, let me say, Mike, and I, I, I know that some of your listeners appreciate this, but Mike, Mike Ozanian is, is a major entrepreneur in, in the sports world because he first introduced in, in the magazine Financial World way back in the beginning of the 1990s, uh, the valuation of a, a methodology for valuing baseball teams and uh, excuse me, not only baseball, but all this, all the professional sports teams. And then he took that methodology to Forbes and it's. It's, it's, it's used very, very widely, uh, and it, it's, it's, it's of enormous value to people in, inside the industry. So in terms of valuation, my hat, my hat really goes off to you. But look, I think that the, uh, you know, the Marlins, in fact, they're pretty profitable. Uh, they, they get, as we talked about a moment ago, they get these enormous transfers from the central office on the order of, of $100 million a year. Uh, and all they have to do, really, if they want to make a lot of money, and Jeff Luria was better than anybody at this, even better than sure. Derek, you know, is, is keep their payroll down and they don't have to sell any tickets at all. They're going to be very, very profitable. And that's one of the problems that Jeter has right now, which is that there's a long history in Miami. It goes back to Wayne Heisinger and then carried forward by Jeff Luria of dumping players who were good in order to make an easy profit. And, you know, if Jerry, if Derek Jeter were, were in Pittsburgh or he were in St. Louis or he were in San Diego today, uh, I don't think he'd be getting the criticism that he gets from Miami because the people in Miami have suffered for a very long time and they've been through this routine before and they're going to be much less tolerant of, of that strategy. Very interesting. Andy, great stuff as always. I, I know you're busier than heck, so I'm going to let you go. But uh, I want to thank you very much for coming on the show. Tremendous amount of stuff. And uh, thanks pleasure, again. Mike. Thank you. That's it for this episode of Forbes Sports Money. Thanks for listening. If you want to get in touch with a comment or question, please email us at sportsmoney at podcastone.com. That's O-N-E dot com. Hey, this is Jordan Harbinger. I used to host the Art of Charm podcast, but now it's time for something new. The Jordan Harbinger Show. Did you know you can be entertained and actually get a boost in your life at the same time? On this show, we dig into the superpowers of the world's most interesting thinkers and top talents. Then we deliver them to you right into your ears. But I get it. We're not all superheroes. That's why we give you their blueprint so you can live what you listen. After a thousand interviews, learning five languages, and getting arrested in a country that doesn't even exist anymore, I'm now more ready than ever to introduce you to The Jordan Harbinger Show. Listen free to The Jordan Harbinger Show, available on Apple Podcasts, PodcastOne.com, and the Podcast One app. At Farmers Insurance, we know a roof can withstand a lot. One exception being an airborne car. Seen it, covered it. Click for more. We are farmers. Bum, 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 bum.
Underwritten by Farmers Truck Fire Insurance Exchanges and Affiliates. Products not available in every state. At the border, I'm Ed Donahue with an AP News Minute. At the roundtable discussion today in San Antonio, Texas, President Trump heard something he said he never heard before about life along the border. Many people are dying, and the danger of living here, unless you know exactly what you're doing, is tremendous. This is Texas Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick. Where are the people in Washington to stand up for these children, these women, these senior citizens? Where are they? Bring them down. Mr. President, let the Democrats come down to Brooks County. Let them come to any of these ranches. Let them see these bodies. Let them see the skeletons. We have the photographs. Attorney General William Barr says he thinks spying did occur on Donald Trump's presidential campaign, suggesting the origins of the Russia investigation may have been mishandled. Scientists released the first image ever made of a black hole, revealing a fiery ring of gravity-twisted light swirling around the edge of the abyss. One scientist said science fiction has become science fact. I'm Ed Donahue.